Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hello everyone, welcome to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host Chris Platty, at RealChrisPlatty on the Twitter and Instagram. Man, listen, the NBA Finals are here. Game 1 of the Bucks and Suns tips off today as I'm posting this. Um, I'm just going to go through this playoffs, man, because this playoffs was a wild playoffs. This is just a solo pod. I'm going to start by just kind of recapping my bracket that I filled out because I didn't get you the podcast with me and Josh filling out the bracket like we wanted to, just couldn't make the schedules mesh. So I'm just going to read mine, and I I may even decide to read Josh's for fun too just because there were some misses in here. But uh, there's some misses in both brackets, as you will see. Uh, This playoffs was just unpredictable, so I just kind of want to take like a quick journey on how we got to the finals, and then I'll quickly give my thoughts on the finals on Suns versus Bucks. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think it's actually going to be a good finals. You know, the, the conference finals were not that great, but I am expecting the finals to be pretty damn good moving forward. So I'm excited. Let's just look back at how the hell we got here in this season that has just felt like, it's felt like a marathon. Honestly, it has not felt like a sprint. Um, you know, it, the pacing of the games was crazy during the regular season, which felt rushed, but Overall, it just feels like it's taken so long to get back to normal basketball, and I think we're getting back to normal basketball, but unfortunately, all of the injuries, and that's a whole other side thing. You could check that out on the wave. I did a think piece breaking down, is it because of the schedule, or is it not because of the schedule? Why are all these injuries happening? Uh, I, I took a real look at that on an episode of the wave, which you could catch on my Instagram and Imperial Media's Instagram. Uh, that's Imperial Media TV, and then mine, of course, Real Chris Platty. But let's just go through this bracket, man, because this is what I had filled out. I filled it out the day before the playoffs started. So uh, at this point, we had we had known everything about who's playing, who made the playing tournament, all of that stuff. And I just looked at I just looked at this bracket, and I can't help but laugh at just how different the NBA playoffs really are. I was looking at this bracket all weekend, just thinking about man, I can't believe that the NBA season ended or has come to this conclusion of all conclusions. So 
we'll go round by round. So starting with round one, we'll start with the Eastern Conference. I had Philly sweeping Washington. Uh, and, you know, truth be told, they won in five. But I got real concerned, and, and you'll see my Philly takes as we get later on into this bracket. But I got real concerned when game three, Embiid got hurt and looked like he absolutely destroyed his knee. And it was called a slightly torn meniscus, which, again, I'm no doctor, but I don't know how the hell you recover from a torn meniscus in, like, two weeks or whatever <laughs> whatever he did. But obviously I was wrong. It went five, but it was it was just it was a bad sign for me because I was like, man, Embiid can't even stay healthy through the first round of a sweep against a, a against a team that they should have blown out the water where Embiid didn't really even have to play that many minutes and this, this and that. It was honestly very concerning for me. It sounds ridiculous to say because injuries happen all the time, especially when you're Joel Embiid's size and the way he moves and how aggressive he is you know that his play style can lead to a lot of a lot of injuries but it just it was just a bad omen that really just kicked off my my entire bracket um the next one perhaps my most wrong take of this whole entire playoffs is I had the Knicks beating the Hawks in seven now my thought on this was just New York has a defense and Atlanta had Atlanta is the better team. I knew that from a talent standpoint that they were a better team. But number one, I just really thought I was one of those people that believed. Look, Trey Young was just going to get hunted all playoffs. It's going to be tough for him to really just make his way around the basket and and find the shots that he wants to find. But I was sadly mistaken when I realized that they could just put Taj Gibson and Taj Gibson. You know, again, shout out to him because he was one of New York's best defenders. But also, it was an indictment that he was one of their best defenders, and Trey Young could just put him in a pick and roll, and that was just a blender every single time. And then Julius Randle, who averaged 145 points against them in the regular season, uh, couldn't even score more, couldn't average more than 27% from the floor shooting wise. So obviously, you know, it really was a big wake up call for me this series, and I think this is a case study for me. I don't want to put all my eggs in this basket, but. It was an interesting playoff series for me because it was like defense versus offense. The The Hawks are clearly way superior on offense, and I thought the Knicks were way superior on defense. And it was going to be who can muster up enough. I knew New York didn't have the shooting, but I thought, okay, Julius Randle, uh, the Garden, you know, the energy, all of that with the playoffs coming back to the first time for the Knicks in a while. Um, the buzz was there. This was a very this was a, a very winnable series for, for New York, I thought, coming in. And... It, they just showed us that look, it's easier to be a better to up your defense in the playoffs than it is to up your offense. That's the theory I'm coming away with because a lot of defense is, as someone who played just mediocre basketball their whole life, a lot of defense is really just effort. And you know, in the playoffs, when the when the game slows down and it means more, and you have more time to scout players and all of this, you know, it was pretty simple to stop New York's offense. It was stop Julius Randle. Uh, run around Reggie Bullock, run him off the three-point line, let Taj touch the ball in the post all you want. Uh, the rest of the shooters, uh, deal with the rest of the shooters. They're, they're mostly inconsistent shooters, so just trust the, trust the defensive scheme and just play hard. Just fight through, fight through pick and rolls, uh, fight through screens, all of that stuff, and really just kind of up your, your effort. And, you know, they were able to easily hide Trey Young on this, in this series multiple times. Um, and the Knicks weren't able to exploit it. And 
you know, I knew after game one, I knew that, oh man, I may have made a mistake. Um, especially because Bogdan Bogdanovich really starting the last like month or so coming into the, the playoffs really stepped up and elevated to a new role. So I thought that I thought that Atlanta was definitely a better team than they were at the beginning of the season and especially at the at the middle point of the season where they where they switched coaches and and then that that's what started the whole run. So Atlanta I was really wrong on and that's going to be a recurring theme here. But that series was interesting to me and that was one of my most anticipated series coming in just because just because of the working theory of defense versus offense what was going to win basketball games in 2021. You know, in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, it was always it was always a principle. Every broadcaster said, "Defense wins championships. Defense is the is the key to success." Well, we saw in the playoffs this year that honestly, it's easier to up your defense than it is to up your offense. And I think that going forward, that's an interesting case study to kind of look at. And I'm going to kind of look at more series in that light um, as I as I move forward in approaching in approaching basketball. And I'm going to go back and look at other recent series. I just think it's an interesting thing to watch. It's an interesting subplot to see where basketball is evolving. The next one, I had Milwaukee beating the Heat. I had Milwaukee winning in six, though. They ended up sweeping. Um, look, simply put, I thought Miami was just going to get two games just because Miami was Miami. I know they had up and down uh, season, mostly down. And, you know, I'm not ready to call it a fluke. I think... If anything, I think both this season and last season were flukes for them. I think that this season was super underachieving for them, and last season was super overachieving for them. And I think they're in the middle of those two things. They're not this bad of a team that they were this year, and they're not as good of a team as they were last year. So I, I gave Miami coming into playoffs. I said, okay, Miami, Milwaukee with the mental factor. I still think that the mental factor was a big deal for them. So um, you'll, you'll hear fireworks in the background. So I apologize if I thought recording this on the, on, on the fifth would eliminate fireworks, but here we go. What I'm saying here is that Miami, I thought was going to get two games basically off the strength of their veteran, uh, off of their veteran experience in Milwaukee, just, you know, figuring out themselves and finding themselves at, from a confidence standpoint in the playoffs. And you can see that throughout the playoffs that this team still doesn't fully have confidence in themselves. And so that's why I thought Miami's going to get two games. But I don't need to talk too much about the, the, the series because Milwaukee, honestly, they played they played great. They played amazing. And um, we'll talk about them more in the Brooklyn series and other series going forward. So next we had I had the Nets beating the Celtics which I'm actually blanking on. I believe that was done in five. Um, I picked mine to go four. I picked it to be a sweep just because I thought, look, Brooklyn, Kyrie, KD, James Harden, pencil them in, boom. And then all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden it ends up being a situation where where Boston steals a game, but New York just, or sorry, Brooklyn just kind of takes advantage and does what they're supposed to do as a better team and wins some games. And Kevin Durant looks great. Not much to talk about there. Now, Moving forward to the West, I had Memphis getting swept by Utah. I had Utah winning 4-0. I liked Memphis a lot. I thought that a lot of the games were going to be competitive, but I did not expect um, Memphis to really hang the way they did in this series. I thought that John Morant was excellent, and I thought that in the moment, I thought that 
it could maybe be exposing some Utah flaws because obviously coming into the playoffs, I wasn't super confident about Utah. I wasn't confident about a lot of teams in the West just because of how how evenly leveled they were talent-wise. And some, some teams had great resumes while other teams didn't have great resumes. Some teams were healthy, some teams weren't. It was just a, 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 just a mess to predict the Western Conference. It was really hard. And I actually stunned myself when I had my champion that I had for the Western Conference and for even the NBA Finals. When I, when I looked at the bracket, I honestly couldn't believe myself, but I was taking it round by round, just filling it out, just looking at this matchup versus this matchup. How do I feel? And so I took Utah to beat Memphis, and you know that series, was, that series wasn't too much other than it showed promise that Memphis is once again a tough fighting team that will play hard, and I think that they have a really good chance if they get another star quality player or develop another star quality player of being a good team, but there's also a timeline in which all these all these really good players that are just like really good role players, I think Dallas is kind of deal, is dealing with the same thing. They have a lot of good role players, but they don't have that second guy, and you can run into the problem of wanting to keep these role guys because you need them but then overpaying all of them and then you're capped out and cannot get that second star or do not have the means to get that second star. And then you're locked into a team that's just going to be a playoff team, which is, again, it's a good thing, but obviously you have championship aspirations. So it's something you have to be careful of, um, especially when you have a franchise player like Ja or Luca that can look in this day and age at any moment, decide that they want out. So it's a tough situation to watch move or it's an interesting situation to watch moving forward because it's a tough situation to be in. Now, speaking of the Mavs, I actually had the Clippers versus the Mavs going six and the Clippers winning. Now they won in seven, obviously, which was by far the most fascinating slash crazy round of the, uh, or crazy series of the first round. The Clippers were ridiculous because they they go down 0-2 the first two games. And this is a team that spoiler alert, I had winning the the championship this year when I filled out this bracket. And when I see them go down 0-2 to Dallas, I'm just like, "Oh my god, I really just picked the Clippers to win the championship and the Clippers are doing the most clipper thing that the Clippers have ever clipped in the history of clipping." And I was so unbelievably like, I was so unbelievably torn because I was loving just watching Luca just go crazy, and I'm and I'm also at the same time frustrated because I'm looking at the Clippers. I'm like, all you have to do is stop one guy. Like that series was so ridiculous to me that they had Kristaps Porzingis who's seven foot three, and they said, no no no, we need size, and brought in Boban at seven four seven five. Shout out Boban, one of one of my favorite Pistons ever, by the way. Um, that's just crazy to me that they really needed to play that much size to try and just to try and counter because Kristaps really just wasn't offering anything. And, you know, as somebody who's really tall for, for normal people standards, when I play pickup basketball and I'm just turning around and doing a post shot, most of the times I, I, I don't really get contested truthfully because I'm taller than a lot of the people that I'm playing against. So those shots are honestly they're they're very easy and i don't understand how patrick beverly can be you know uh, again patrick beverly's a, a tough guy but you're turning around and yeah they're they're throwing your your lower body off balance a little bit 
but ultimately you have like you have like three feet you can't they can't even see his hand or Mar- even Marcus Morris let's go bigger and say Marcus Morris you can't really even see his hand when you're contesting his hand can't even get to your face I mean that's just such a shot that I don't understand why Kristaps Porzingis struggles to shoot that shot because that is a shot that I could that I think a pro should be able to hit any day of the week especially Kristaps who's you know, shown through his three-point shooting early in his New York days that, hey, he has a little bit of, he he has a good feel for shooting. He has decent shooting mechanics, so he should be a good shooter. Um, it just, it just frustrated me that that was, that was the thing that, that frustrated me more than him not rolling to the rim and dunking, only doing that like once every fourth quarter. And it was just like, there we go. That's what you can do if you're not going to shoot threes or if you're not going to hit threes roll to the rim and punish them with your size but those post fadeaways just killed me because each time each time they were literally just so uncontested it was unbelievably frustrating to watch so that was a great series though um we got to see some legendary Kawhi performances which was amazing and you know Luca again Dallas has a lot of questions and concerns about Luca going forward you know the whole the whole Jason Kidd hire and just Rick Carlisle's departure, all of that screams like this could go, this could go left very soon if things don't, if things don't right the ship real quick. So anyways, that's a whole nother podcast. I'll do that in the off season because Dallas will definitely be the team that I want to talk about probably the most in the off season. Okay, next I had Portland losing to Denver in six. And so that ended up being correct. Uh, Denver Look, to me, I picked Denver just because I love Dame, but I thought that the defensive issues plus their their inability to uh, to stop Jokic by any means. I like Nurkic as a player, but they really just they really just didn't have an answer for Jokic. I mean, they were having Carmelo guard him for a lot of the series, and excuse me, Jokic was getting was just making easy work of Nurkic, just getting him in quick foul trouble. Um, that was that was really hurting the Blazers. And you know what? Overall, this is something that I really grew to learn in the next round with with Denver. But I just I like I like Compazzo. I like a a few of their guards as obviously role players. I thought Jokic just kind of being the proverbial point was going to be enough of a guard presence to carry them over in this series, and that's really what they had. But shout out to Damian Lillard who played absolutely incredible in this series. Uh, was super fun to watch uh, every every time. I mean, that was a that was a disgrace that like half those games were on were on NBA TV. But I digress. Okay, obviously this is probably the most, if not interesting, the the most watched first round series, and that was the Suns and Lakers. This one had big implications. So I did this bracket with some friends, and, with multiple friends, and this was what I noticed. A lot of people, a lot of people had the Lakers making either the finals or just certainly going to like the conference finals but then I noticed a few other brackets that didn't have that had the Lakers losing to the Suns in the first round as a two seed um well Lakers being the seven Suns being the two seed is what I'm what I'm saying I noticed that the teams or the people that had the Suns beating the Lakers ended up having the Suns where the Lakers were in other people's brackets meaning that a lot of people seemed like the consensus among my friends were that 
that whoever got out of this series was going to go far in the playoffs, uh, not just uh, not just to the second round. And I think part of that is because obviously Denver didn't have Jamal Murray, which we'll get to when we talk about the second round. But I just think that that was a, a really interesting take because I thought that the Suns were a team I wasn't confident in just because, you know, how how often do we hear the storylines of Chris Paul getting hurt? Uh, and then, and then you know, Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden and all them, like, this is their first playoffs. So, again, I have, I'm one of those people that's skeptical when it comes to first playoffs. I just expect humans to be humans and to be thrown in a new environment and to struggle a little bit. And shout out to Devin Booker, shout out to Aiden, shout out to all of those Suns players that have, for their first playoff experience, their first real playoff experience, they've all succeeded. And obviously, they've had veteran help from Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, but it's really just impressed me how much Mikael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Devin Booker have really just there has they've got they've gotten even better since they were in the regular season, and so I think that that's uh, that's a huge huge thing. Obviously, injuries played a huge factor as well in this in this first round. I still think that if AD was healthy, that the Lakers were going to win this series in seven. But it showed me LeBron clearly wasn't healthy because there was a lot of times when LeBron just didn't attack the basket the way he should have and the way I know that he can in, in years past. And I don't think that this is something going forward that he's like lost forever. I just think that that ankle wasn't fully right. And so he was instead of, you know, instead of getting those pat instead of getting those, you know, layups, you had to rely on Alex Caruso, KCP, all of those shooters who they played great last year in the playoffs. But they're role players, and they and they they can from round to round they can vary on what they can give you. In that round, they just didn't give LeBron enough, and then obviously AD being hurt really uh, really took the Lakers down another level. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what the Lakers do moving forward to see how much they believe in each of the pieces that they have. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, I know there's a lot of talk about him. It's just Andre Drummond as well. Which Andre Drummond, man, look. I'm a Pistons guy, so obviously, you know, I've made I've said my my thoughts on Andre Drummond, and they quickly are that he just doesn't to me. No matter no matter how talented he is, he's uberly talented as far as his physical gifts, um, but he just doesn't have that mentality to consistently play at a high level. He just he he checks out from time to time. That's what, I saw it in Game Three of the 2018 playoffs when uh, when Blake Griffin was playing on one leg and giving it his all, sacrificing his body. We later found out this dude was playing on a torn meniscus and probably is the reason why Blake was bought out and not a healthy, good player like he was in Detroit in the years past. Is because he was playing on a torn meniscus, which probably shortened the length of his career. Uh, he sacrificed it for really a. A Pistons team that was first round fodder anyways which is why listen side note I promise you Detroit fans are not mad there's people on Twitter that are mad but they're not real Detroit Pistons fans the real Detroit Pistons fans that saw Blake give his all in 2018 and drag that sorry ass team to the playoffs that we are forever happy for Blake Griffin I promise you and a side note back to Drummond Again, that game three, I saw Blake doing everything, hustling, playing his heart out, and Drummond was just checked out. It was one of those games, every couple games, Andre Drummond just has a game where he's checked out. 
And we saw that in this series. I thought maybe it'd be different with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, you still do that signing 10 times out of 10 because as, as frustrating as Drummond is, as a buyout player, like you can't beat that. The dude is the dude is in his athletic prime as far as age. He's um, you know he's obviously way above a, a minimum contract. So to get him on a minimum contract, you do it ten times out of ten, no matter how, no matter how frustrating he is. So I never blame the Lakers for that move. You make it every single time. But I hope that 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 people that weren't watching Piston games for the last seven years, which I understand. If you weren't watching Piston games for the last seven years, I hope you now see what the Pistons fans saw for all that time. Now, end a, end a tangent. Round two, we'll go back to the East. I had Philly again sweeping New York. Obviously, in, in, in real life, they played Atlanta and lost in six in the Ben Simmons collapse. That's epic. Okay, so the Philly thing... There's a Philly and an Atlanta thing. The Philly thing is that obviously Ben Simmons, yes, shoot a cannon for Ben Simmons' confidence, like like a Hunger Games, like it was just lost in the sky. A fall, fallen is Ben Simmons' confidence and his free throw percentage. But Ben Simmons really just was in his own head. This was a meltdown I hadn't seen since like LeBron in the in the finals. And even LeBron's meltdown in the finals, I felt like, granted, I was younger. It's It didn't seem this bad. Like, I never remember seeing LeBron pass up an open dunk. I seen him be non-aggressive, but he literally had that open dunk and dished it to a teammate. And that teammate was Maurice Tybal, who's not a great free throw shooter. He got fouled, sent to the line, made one of two. Joel Embiid threw him under the bus after at the, after the press conference. Ben Simmons, that is. And the rest is history. And the Ben Simmons trade value thing, like we'll we'll talk about what Philly should do later, but let's just talk about what they did in this series. Game one, incredibly frustrating that they let Trey Young go off for like two and a half quarters. And then they finally said, wait, we have two all defensive first team caliber players. Why don't we just use one of them on him? Because remember, they started with Danny Green on Trey Young. And I understand not playing your best card right away, but dude. I mean, Trey Young is their entire offense. Like, this is something you just come into a series and you go, you go, look, obviously he's their best player. Our game plan is simple. Stop Trey Young and or limit him or just make him shoot inefficiently. Just make him have as tough of a go as possible. And that's going to do a lot to harm the offense. But what they ended up, what the Hawks ended up figuring out is Bogdan as a as was a great second option as a as a playmaker, and Kevin Herter as a third option playmaker uh, was really good. Obviously, everybody knows his game seven that he had and and, and all of that. Um, Atlanta just had more playmaking than uh, than Philly, and they have their weapons, and and they didn't punish. They didn't really. They didn't really punish. Atlanta enough and particularly Trey Young. Trey Young was able to still do what he wanted to do pretty much all series. Um, he had a few inefficient games here and there but mostly it was it was Atlanta's show on offense and when they blew that collapse in game five that was to go down 3-2 that was something that I just looked at I just looked at my TV in disbelief. I honestly was watching the game saw saw that Philly was up by a gigantic number <laughs> 
and I start, you know, going on my phone, texting people, trying to figure out, you know, when the next pod recording is and this, this, and that, just trying to, just trying to do a life stuff, right? And all of a sudden, I look up, and I'm like, oh, my God, this Atlanta team is really about to do it because I had the TV, like, almost muted. Weirdly, I was kind of just sitting in my living room by myself on my phone, just kind of doing what I do in my life stuff that I needed to do. And I look up and I will never forget the shock on my face of just like I could feel I could feel my face just be just flat, just emotionless as I saw Atlanta come back and win this game. It was it was incredibly frustrating. And that's when I knew that with Philly. Okay, they have a mental bug too. This isn't just the fact that they don't really have a lot of offensive options. Danny Green got hurt, and he's one of their best shooters. Yeah, that that makes things dicey because now you're relying on on Maz and all of that instead of Danny Green. So I get I get the whole I get the whole next man mentality up screwing them over. I, I get that argument, but that to me just was was a lack of confidence. And then Game Seven, it just felt like. The whole entire time, even though they had that impressive Game Six win, Game Seven from early on in the game, it just felt like okay, Atlanta, Atlanta's going to do this. And then obviously, you know, they they pull away. Ben Simmons has his Ben Simmons moment, and the rest is history. So I kind of did that was my Atlanta and my Philly thing. I'll have a little bit more of an Atlanta thing when I get to the next round. But obviously, really wrong on Philly. I had Philly sweeping till the conference finals. I had them sweeping the first two rounds, Washington and New York. Um, and then when I saw Atlanta, I was like, okay, okay, maybe, you know, I would predict like Philly in five. I still was thinking, okay, Trey Young is good enough to get him a game. He showed me in the first round that he is for real. But I didn't know how for real he was. He was the toughest dude on the court. He was the smallest dude, but he was the toughest dude on the court. It was genuinely unbelievable. And so I was really wrong on Philly. I had Philly going all the way to the finals and losing to the Clippers in six. Um, and I'll and I'll explain why I had them over Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn next, but this next round I had I had Milwaukee versus Brooklyn, and I had which ended up being the right series. But I had Brooklyn beating Milwaukee in six. Obviously, I didn't expect Kyrie to roll his ankle, James Harden to pull his hamstring, forty three seconds in. I've done breakdowns of this series, and I've talked about how, look, even if James Harden was healthy or even if Kyrie was healthy, even if just one one of those two were not injured along with KD, I still think that Brooklyn wins this series, and that showed a lot of, that created a lot of distrust in Milwaukee that was already pre-existing just because of their last playoff runs, so it was an incredibly frustrating series to watch because I'm looking at Durant go crazy, and that was awesome to watch. That it was awesome to watch KD go go off like this, but it was also frustrating in the sense that again, it was the Luca thing. It's like, dude, there is one guy, just play on him. I understand you want PJ on him uh, for most of the game. That's fine. PJ overall did a good job on Kevin Durant, and I know that's going to sound crazy because of all the fouls PJ had and all the points Kevin Durant had, but. If you watch basketball, you could see that that dude was annoying to play against. But you have to give him different looks, and you have to go Giannis. I get that you want Giannis to roam uh, and be the free safety, but Kevin Durant wasn't really getting to the rim like that. It was mostly just one-on-one iso cook jump shot, boom. Or if the double helps, move, boom. Or put Brook Lopez in pick and roll and then drop coverage. 
and that Brooke Lopez drop coverage. Don't get me started on that because obviously everybody on NBA Twitter talks about it. So I won't talk about it too much, but you you know you know what it is. The the drop coverage with Brooke Lopez. He drops back because he's not athletic enough to to step up and recover and protect the rim just to do both. So he drops. So all all you have to do is use Brooke Lopez man as a screener. So that way Brooke Lopez drops and once you beat them on the screen, you have a wide open mid-range pretty much all day for Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant is one of the greatest shooters of all time. Giving him wide open warm-up jumpers obviously obviously isn't a recipe for success. End of story. So you have to throw Giannis on him because KD really wasn't getting to the rim. So having Giannis as a free safety wasn't really doing too much. Now, I get I get the idea of conserving him energy. You don't have to put Giannis on Kevin Durant 48 minutes. You don't have to do all that. Um, Giannis did play him. And when Giannis played him, I thought that Giannis actually did a good job contesting his shots. And you could tell that Durant, Durant's, Durant's shot was bothered by Giannis's defense. And so I think that that was something that they should have explored more. And also, on the other hand, Brooke Lopez in game one, eight for 11, played great, right? And then the rest of the series, he's not featured. But they started off the game, the first half, Brooke Lopez is getting layups, he's getting putbacks, he's getting post touches, and he's just, he's clearly the biggest guy on the floor. You're punishing this team uh, for not having size. And so they start throwing Durant on Lopez because Lopez is drifting off to the three-point line. And yeah, he's a good shooter, but you know it, it allows Kevin Durant to rest a little bit because Brooke Lopez isn't moving. Well, if I'm Milwaukee, my my decision is obviously don't rework the whole offense. Obviously, you have a system that players are comfortable, confident with. You, you're confident with the Drew Holiday uh, pick and roll. Um, you're confident with Giannis uh, being some playmaking, Chris Middleton doing uh, some playmaking, those three guys mainly handling the offense that's what you're comfortable with but make an adjustment and as somebody again I'm a tall I'm a tall guy so a lot of times I play post so post defense is exhausting and you had to know those last couple games when Kevin Durant's playing 48 minutes every game you had to know that with Brooke Lopez like the size I get it that Durant blocked him and you know Kevin Durant could definitely score on him and or stop him from scoring efficiently at the very least. But what that's going to do is just doing that a couple of times, it's just going to tire out Kevin Durant a little bit more. And all of a sudden, those jump shots, he's got a little less leg in him. And when he's got a little less leg in him, those jump shots are short and they just rim out or they just hit the front rim. And all of that is a difference in making this series. When Kyrie and Harden were down, this should have been Milwaukee in five. I truly believe that. Because, you know, Kevin Durant made the most. And shout out to Blake Griffin. He played well. Um, Bruce Brown played well. I know everybody's going to attack him for those moments. But look, Bruce Brown played aggressive. I understood what he was doing on that drive on Brooke Lopez. Surprisingly, Brooke Lopez was able to stay in front of him. I think he just was expecting to blow past him for that layup. Didn't get it. The Bruce Brown floater, I'm a fan of it. I've seen it in Detroit. I, I know he can hit it. So I was confident in those two shots. And what was that, game three or game four? can't remember right now off the top of my head but obviously these guys are all role players you know Joe Harris struggling that really hurt that really hurt the Nets as well um not having that that extra lethal shooter that you just that the defense had to account for and they were still guarding him like he was a lethal shooter but there was definitely defensive lapses that resulted in open jump shots for him 
and he just still couldn't hit those. And that w- that really was was another big downfall of Brooklyn that really just made it Kevin Durant only. So if it's the Kevin Durant show and you know it's the Kevin Durant show, I'm going to try to wear him out. I'm going to try to wear him out to where he is physically exhausted and he just can't do it. And I think you saw that at the end of the series when he did that turnaround three. Not the one that he hit that was a two, but the one that he missed. Like, I thought for sure, I was having deja vu flashbacks. I thought Kevin Durant was going to do what he did to LeBron in the finals and just dribble between the legs, has he pull up three right in his face, boom, game over. But instead, he kind of just, he did this like post-fadeaway three-point game-winning shot, which Kevin Durant's the greatest shooter of all time, so... You can never say Kevin Durant takes a bad shot, but that is not definite. That is definitely not a great shot. So, I was incredibly frustrated with that series, just from the standpoint of both teams, mainly Milwaukee, just being maddening and refusing to make adjustments or make the adjustments. They they didn't make them early enough, and I thought that they could have saved themselves a lot of trouble, a lot of headache, a lot of suspense. But I I digress on that series. So, in the West, we have Denver versus Phoenix, which Phoenix obviously did what they did and destroyed Denver. Um, and then we had, uh, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do Phoenix-Denver. I know I went a little out of order here. I was supposed to go Clippers-Jazz, but Denver-Phoenix. Look, Chris Paul in the guard play. This is my Denver thing. Denver got proven that they are a team, or no, sorry, Denver proved that you just need an elite guard in today's NBA playoffs. You need an elite shot creator, and that's exactly what they are missing in this series. In this series, they really missed Jamal Murray's ability to create when Jokic was being guarded heavily by Aiton. And again, Jokic was playing well. Um, you know, he had his moments. He had some down moments in this series, but you know, it just it was a world of difference. You know, you got Frank Capazzo and Will Barton versus Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like, obviously, that's a huge, huge plus uh, to Phoenix. So you needed Jamal Murray, and you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Phoenix would have still won this series because Phoenix played great all playoffs. They rose to another level that I didn't think they had in the regular season. But I still think that Denver, fully healthy, would have won. The, uh, would have won the West and probably the championship considering if everything played out the way it played out, but Denver was healthy. Because having that huge shot creator and shot maker is just such a difference on uh, on the offensive pressure, on the offensive workload, and suddenly that makes Jokic's job 10 times easier. That makes Will Barton's job 10 times easier. Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon are getting free cuts. Um, Michael Porter played great in the series too, by the way. He had that 22-point first quarter, which was fucking unbelievable um i i i really like michael porter going forward i understand all the hype i'm still worried uh just because you know that that medical like he was red flagged like nobody's ever been red flagged so you know you hope that you hope that he gets right and stays right but uh if he does that looks like a hell of a move for denver now i understand why there was you know the do you put him in the james harden trade this this, and that um i still do it just because james is james but you know, I, I get it. I genuinely get it with Michael Porter. He is special if he can continue to improve. Defensively, he's got some work to do. He's he's now kind of like average or like slightly below average. But the tan- the intangibles are there to be a, a plus defender. And if he can be as, as good of a scorer as he is or even get to another level, 
while improving the defense. I mean, that's just a that's just a huge trio, and not to mention Aaron Gordon uh, being added to the team for this year and next year. And the Jamal Murray injury is unfortunate because it messes up the timeline of Denver. Like instead of having two shots at the chip, they now kind of really have one, but it's not even a full one because it's going to take Jamal most of next season to get back, get healthy. Then he's got to get acclimated. So, you know, you hope that Denver is playing their best basketball by playoffs. But, um, you know, truth be told, you know, it's going to it takes a lot of time for that chemistry to build. So I, I'm not I'm not too sure about how 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 good Denver is going to be next year and what their real title chances are. But obviously on paper, I, I would have loved to, to see them this year. I think they could have really won the championship. So it's it's really unfortunate. But uh, Phoenix, again, they, they rose to the level and they played at an insanely, insanely good level where they were just insane. Chris Paul was just like, I got this. This is I'm not I'm not losing this playoff series. And I mean, that was it. DeAndre Ayton continued to play well. Uh, another thing that by that second round, I started to change my thoughts on DeAndre Ayton, which was a big key, in my opinion, on the Suns, because if DeAndre Ayton is going to play this well, rebound the ball like crazy, finish around the rim, just just bang down low, uh, just play hard the whole way through, and play smart and disciplined. He really didn't get into foul trouble that much in, in all of the playoffs. So when I saw them do what they did in the second round at Denver, um, not only did it expose the fact that Denver, another theory of mine that just you need, it, you need that elite shot-making guard um, in the playoffs, not only did it expose that, but it also it also just let me know like okay the Suns are for real. That was the moment when I was like okay the Suns look like the best team in the playoffs right now. I'm not saying they were gonna win it at that moment, but I felt like in that moment they were the best team in the playoffs, and that's when uh, that's when the narrative or that's when my opinion on them started to shift a lot. So Clippers Jazz. This was an interesting series. Obviously we have the epic Utah um, Clippers collapse, which I which I've talked about before and it's really just it's really just the 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 lack of adjustments like like Bud made with the Hawks like with Rudy Gobert you have him in for rim protection but if you it, but if the Clippers are going small and you have to play out on the three-point line then all of a sudden what's the rim protection he's offering and also for the record I would have put I would have played Jordan Clarkson in that game six just because um, just because of the simple fact that he had like 22 points in the first half. He went crazy. And then for, for you to play him, uh, Conley over him, I get it. Conley is Conley, but Jordan Clarkson clearly had the hot hand that night. And that was the story of the game was the hot hand. Like Terrence Mann, you know, a 39 piece. Like at some point, once he's at 29, once he's at 32, I get it. This dude has never done this before, but I've played basketball enough. And I know all those people have played basketball enough to know that the worst person on the floor, not saying he was, I'm not trying to disrespect him, but anybody on the floor can have a night. And you have to recognize that when a night is happening, you have to stop it. You have to you have to adjust. Like, I get it. He doesn't do this regularly. He hasn't done this before even. You could take it to that level. But clearly something was going on. Clearly something was going on that night. Something was in the water, and you just had to adjust, and you didn't. And I get it. Gobert's your 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 second max guy. He's your second foundational piece. So you want to you want to keep him. Um, you, 
you kind of want to do the Ben Simmons thing where you kind of have to play him because even though he is unplayable, you uh, you recognize that you can't just not play him because of just his his status on the team and what that would do to the team moving forward, what that would do to his confidence, what that would do to the team's trust in 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 the coaching staff and everything. Because God forbid you bench Rudy Gobert and still lose that game. Oh my God! I mean that 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 is just DefCon one in Utah. So it's a it's a ballsy move that very few people are willing to make. And obviously hindsight would tell you to make that with with Rudy Gobert. But man, look, even just even just play him on the three point line more. And I know he got blown past a couple of times, but man, just play him on the three point line more. Just just don't just leave Terrence Mann having warm up shoot around threes for for a whole series. And obviously, I didn't talk about the Kawhi part of it and, and the drama leading up to that. The Clippers, once again, you know, losing early on in the series and then coming back and losing Kawhi, which when I heard it was an ACL injury, I'm like, okay, Kawhi's done. We still don't know the extent of the injury, but we know that um, I, I I was very confident that Kawhi was not going to be back in, in, in this playoffs. Um, but they, they did the gamesmanship thing that you're supposed to do and take it game by game. Who knows? Maybe Maybe he will be healthy, but... I wonder if him not having surgery right away, I wonder what that does to him moving forward. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. Just a thought I'm putting out there. But Paul George was great in this series. He deserves a lot of credit. He deserves a lot of credit in the Phoenix series as well, which we'll get to next. But uh, first, let's go to let's go to Atlanta and Milwaukee. So Atlanta, Milwaukee, Eastern Conference Finals. Again, I had Philly beating Brooklyn in seven just because I thought... I thought that all series or all season long, the big three of Brooklyn was not playing together. They only played like six games together. So I was I was like, let's look at this realistically. Obviously, I want to look through the lens of per- picture perfect world. Everybody's healthy. This, this, and that. Everything is fair. Everything is just. But that's not how how basketball works. So looking at it logically, I expected I didn't know who, but I expected one or maybe two of those guys to be injured. And I thought, look, if if Brooklyn is shorthanded and Philly with their size and nobody being able to stop Embiid, I, I wasn't counting on Ben Simmons being an epic collapse like he was. Um, but I was expecting that if, you know, Embiid's size and everything that Philly has, they have just enough to win that series in seven, especially if maybe Kevin Durant's not healthy, which is the person that, truth be told, I was least confident in because he missed a lot of games. And I know that it was mostly cautious. But, you know, coming off of a torn Achilles after, um, you know, after getting COVID twice, like, you know, he just, he had a really rough go. And I just thought that it was going to take him a year or two years to get, to get back to a level, uh, get closer to a level that he was this season. And he proved me wrong. He was the only healthy one, ironically. Obviously, the Kyrie injury was a fluke, like I said. And the James Harden one, he reaggravated the same hamstring injury. So he, clearly, he didn't. Um, he he wasn't he wasn't ready. He wasn't um, rehabbed right. So that's that's going to be interesting to monitor moving forward, because James Harden literally couldn't run. Another side note, Milwaukee. If you know that James Harden can't run because hamstring injuries, they get reaggravated from bursts, which is like bursts of accelerations and decelerations, and that's Harden's game. So Harden was literally just out there to be a smart passer. Harden was literally out there to hopefully hit jump shots, not play any defense, but on offense, if he gets the ball, make the right read, whether it's take the shot 
or pass the ball to the to the open cutter through three people. The pass that only James Harden can make. You know what I mean? So I that was another thing. Milwaukee should have attacked that, but I forgot to mention that in the in the um last last part of this. But yeah, I coming into this series, Milwaukee versus Atlanta. I was like, look, man, I don't want to doubt Atlanta again, but I'm doubting them one more time. And if they win this series, then, you know, fuck it. I'm picking them to win the championship. I just thought Milwaukee's size, what they were able to do, their talent level, they were going to beat out the Hawks. And sure enough, unfortunately, we got Giannis and Trey Young injured. Trey Young on a fluke. Giannis on kind of a fluke as well. Um, you know, obviously the way he plays lends himself susceptible to those kind of injuries with hyperextended knees. As of right now, he is uh, he is doubtful for game one. That is a report as I'm recording this. But a little bit of gamesmanship might be going on there. He might be upgraded questionable last minute or, or playable last minute. But either way, I thought that Milwaukee had more talent than Atlanta, even though they were incredibly frustrating. I was like, okay, Atlanta will lose this series in six. And sure enough, they did, but obviously I can't take credit for that because, you know, uh, the injuries drastically changed things in that series. Um, Trey Young just, man, he just, what a hell of a playoff run. I just got to, I just got to give Atlanta credit and Trey Young credit because I don't think Trey Young has elevated my list in such a dramatic fashion in one playoff run that I don't think I've ever experienced in my life or ever remember experiencing in my life. I wasn't all the way out on the kid, but I just thought that he was a guy that was going to have to have a rough first playoff or first two playoff experiences and then really kind of find his ground because just because of the physical size. Like I, you know, I believe in the taking the Giannis guys over the Steph Curry in the playoffs, which has proven to be wrong. I'll, I'll admit that I was wrong in that. But my thinking was just that when the game slows down and gets more physical, uh, LeBron in the 2016 finals when the Cavs came back and won against Curry, it was because LeBron was able to kind of, you know, like he's not as fast as Curry, but he was able to, you know, bump him here, bump him there. And a scrawny guy can take that kind of beating. And obviously Trey Young is nowhere near as big as Steph Curry. So, you know, I just thought that that was going to be a problem for him. He was going to get punished. He was going to get exploited on defense. And shout out to him and the, and the, the coaching staff in Atlanta because they really found a way to hide him pretty well all throughout the entire playoffs. Um, so I think that that's still a potential problem moving forward. It's a shame that they didn't have DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish in this series because I thought that those two guys could have really impacted um, impacted the game, especially defensively and how they guarded Giannis. Uh, but I really just thought that it was it was impressive to me just how tough Trey Young was. He got knocked down every time and to the point where I was like, this dude's getting up. Like I, I had total confidence that this man is just this man is just invis, invincible, and unfortunately, you know, he stepped on a ref's foot. People want to sit, blame the ref for being that close. Uh, listen, that's just humans being humans and doing human things. Humans are imperfect. Humans are infallible. He was too close, probably, but you know, how many times has that happened in NBA history? I can't think of one. Maybe somebody like Bill Simmons, who just literally remembers everything to ever happen in the history of the basketball universe. Maybe he can remember something like that, but I sure can't remember anything like a, like a player stepping on a ref's ankle and injuring their foot. Um, so it was unfortunate, but it was, and it made the last two games kind of tough to watch. But you know what? Um, 
it was a great series. Uh, it was a great series while we had it for four games, and other than the the dominating blowout win that Milwaukee had. But man, all credit to Atlanta. All credit to Atlanta. All credit to Nate McMillan, Trey Young, Shaw Bogdan Bogdanovich, his injury as well. Atlanta just you know it was a, it was an amazing Cinderella run, but it fell short just because of you know the injuries and all of that. So now we get to the Western Conference Finals, and then we'll we'll get to the finals. So. Again, this is 50 minutes of recapping just what was an insane postseason. And there's so many more side tangents that I could get into, but I'm trying to condense my thoughts. I've been writing this out so that I condense my thoughts in a in a somewhat efficient but free-flowing way to make it just to make us just step back and realize because I think this is going to be one of those those times where we just we realize that this was insane. This was insane, this NBA playoff run. All the injuries, how open it was, how much parity was in the league. Like, I mean, again, all these different brackets my friends had had all these different winners. Some people had Philly winning the chip. Some people had Brooklyn winning the chip. Some people had Milwaukee. Some people had, uh, uh, I think one person had Phoenix. So shout out them. Um, the Lakers, uh, the Clippers. Uh, you know, it was it was a serious it was a a serious conversation. Like even Dallas. I said it when when Dallas was up 2-0. I'm like, look, if they somehow beat the Clippers and the Clippers clip, Luca could do some like 07 LeBron shit and then just take this sorry team to the to the conference finals or to the finals, and you know probably lose because again it's only one man. But I mean, he was elevating his team to that high of a level. It was insane to watch, and so it was just so open. It was so fun. But here we are. Let's get to the let's get to the conference finals of what just happened, and then we'll and then we'll talk uh, Suns Bucks real quick and get out of here. So Clippers versus Suns. When that happened, I I said, look, no Chris Paul. We don't know because of the COVID thing, which was very unfortunate. He had the shoulder sprain in the first round. They fought through. Um, I was really happy because, you know, I just didn't want to see Chris Paul have another year in the playoffs where he was hurt by injury when again this could have been an open this could have been an open playoffs and we found out it was a wide open playoffs and you know, I think there's some poetic justice in that in that Chris Paul is the is like one of the only star players that really survived this uh this series but or this playoff run. But he did so not without battles, you know, he got the shoulder sprain in the Lakers series, and then he got COVID, and so I figured, okay, he'll be back by like game three, game four, whatever, he was back, um, he was back game two, but I said, going into the series, I said, no Chris Paul, no Kawhi, I'm taking, I'm taking the, the, I'm taking the, the CP3 list Suns over the Kawhi list Clippers, and I felt like that proved to be right. You know, Devin Booker game one, the forty-one point, damn near triple double, like played his played his ass off, all of that. Um, game two, I thought Clippers made a great adjustment. The rest of the series on Devin Booker, he shot inefficient. Obviously, the broken nose and the mask hindered him. But I thought it was mainly Patrick Beverly's defense. And look, Patrick Beverly, we can give him shit for the unnecessary shoving of Chris Paul and all of that. That that was that was garbage, but. You know, he's a guy who he fights hard. And you know what? I know a lot of the NBA hates him and a lot of people think he's dirty. And he's probably dirty adjacent. He, I mean, he's definitely not clean. But I seriously don't think that this man has ill intentions to injure players. I think he just plays 
extremely physical and extremely hard because he knows that's his only value. It's not what he brings on the offensive side of the ball. It's the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I just like guys with that kind of energy. I, I want I want players that play with heart. And so I like him more than most people. I know that's probably not a very popular opinion, especially if you think he's dirty. But I, I, I just think he plays with tremendous heart. And I thought he deserves a lot of credit for how well um, how well he played Devin Booker and how Devin Booker struggled uh, for, for a majority of this series, pretty much the whole series. And, you know, that goes to Patrick Beverly. That really does, because he was the one that was following Booker around, playing rough with him, uh, just just really making it tough for Devin Booker to score and not giving him any easy looks. And then the easy looks he did have, he was so caught off guard by having an easy look that I felt like he, you know, mentally he slipped up and blew it. So, um I, I thought that that was excellent. Paul George, once again, playing fantastic. It just seems like every time this Clippers team, their back was against the wall, they fought through, which was very un-Clipper-like, and it was very great to see. Because, look, as a Pistons fan, I understand struggling franchises. You know, Detroit's obviously in a, in, a, in a rebuild, although we're in a beautiful spot right now. Shout out Kay Cunningham. But I understand the frustration. So, like, I don't like to see, I don't like to make fun of these Kings organizations, these Clippers organizations. I'm happy for the Suns because obviously the Suns were a team that was dealing with this too. That I don't root for those teams to just be stuck in just purgatory or basketball purgatory because, you know what, I've, as a Pistons fan, I've visited there. You can you could say I'm there. Maybe I'm delusionally optimistic, but you know, maybe we we probably were there at some point. But I I just I I empathize with that. So I was really happy to see the Clippers do what they did. Uh, Paul George, I think I think he really turned around his uh, his perception around the league. Uh, I think there is some truth into him playing better without Kawhi. I think he he plays best when he is when he knows he's the unquestioned alpha dog of the team. But that there's just the reality is that that team's ceiling will always be non-championship because Paul George looks like the way he plays, his size, his strength, everything that he has, all the physical tools he has, he looks like he should be a top 10, 12 player. I say this all the time. But the reality is he he just shoots inefficiently. He has inconsistent moments. Um, he's just he's just not as good as you know as as the package would would seem to offer. And so you know I think he deserves a lot of credit for for how well he played because he played pretty consistent. He wasn't the most efficient, but he played pretty consistent throughout this playoffs, and uh, he inspired a lot of fight in the team. So I think that I think that that was awesome to see, but. Again, I just think that he's best as a number one option, uh, but that's not what's best for the team because him being a number one option uh, means that just your ceiling is lower than a championship. It just is. Like Paul George will never be the best player on a championship team. If there was ever a year, it was going to be this year where it was an entire fluke. and um, Or I should say not fluke because no champion is a fluke. Let me make that statement clear. But... Uh, an outline, an outline season. Um, that this is the this is the shot where Paul George would have won. This is the shot where Dame would have got to the finals. This is the year where it was open for somebody to do something to make that unbelievable run, like we saw Atlanta make, like we're seeing Phoenix make. So, 
I digress. But that was a good series. It was fun to watch. Um, much more fun than the the Bucks Hawks as it, as it ended. It just it was really disheartening to watch Brook Lopez go off for thirty three points, and I'd be like, oh yeah, this guy, this guy is like arguably the best player on the floor right now. This is uh this is not what I want a conference finals to be. But here we are, the NBA Finals, Phoenix versus Brooklyn. So as of right now, like I said, Giannis's status is doubtful for Game One. Um, it's saying that he is working vigilantly, quote, fighting tooth and nail to play game one. Um, obviously, I think there's some gamesmanship in that. Um, they don't want to say what he is or isn't right now. The doubtful could end up becoming a questionable or probable before the game. Um, I'm picking the Suns in six because, you know, I do expect Giannis to be back game two, game three at the latest. I think he's going to be back um, unless Milwaukee, like, goes up 2-0 or 3-0 or something then then, you know, maybe they don't bring Giannis back. But except for that unlikely conclusion here, I'm picking the Suns in six because I just don't think Book can have a worse series than what he had um, last round. And the Suns just seem like the team of destiny, man. Like I said, I started to feel that way in the second round. That was before or kind of during as, like, the whole James Harden-Kyrie thing happened. And I realized that Brooklyn was going to be uh, vulnerable because honestly, if Brooklyn was healthy, they would have washed everybody. Like Denver would have gotten to the uh, Denver would have gotten to the finals fully healthy, I believe that, but uh, they wouldn't have beat they wouldn't have beat Brooklyn. This Brooklyn team, I mean, the fact that they almost beat Milwaukee with you know Kevin Durant and a and a bunch of guys who I like. I'm not gonna say anything more than that, but a bunch of guys that I like but don't love. Uh, that that's 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 very telling to me. So you take two arguably all NBA players, um, one of which being a, a a former MVP and you know just a perennial MVP candidate. Obviously, that changes the game of basketball for you. So that being said, it seemed like the Suns were the team of destiny this year. It just seemed like you know there's some poetic justice in Chris Paul, it being his 16th season, reaching the finals, and maybe that's just me being the fan that I am of Chris Paul and just really rooting for him because, you know, this is, man, I'm telling you, Chris Paul wins this ring. This is something, this is obviously the first mind I'm going to, the first comparison I'm going to make is when Dirk got his and I was really happy for Dirk. But man, I I think I'm going to be even more happy if Chris Paul gets this one. This dude, the, the slander that was put on his name for all the years, and, you know, he had his own shortcomings for sure in the playoffs. We don't got to talk about them. I'm, I'm not going to do that rant. I'll save that rant for if slash when the Phoenix Suns win the championship. But to go through everything that Chris Paul went through and to get to the finals and win a championship I thought would I thought would be an amazing story and I think something that every basketball fan should root for. And Giannis is incredibly likable too, you know, the fact that he stayed in Milwaukee, the fact that he fought like hell. Um, you know, I had my perception issues with Giannis. Um, because again, three years ago I, I thought, okay, I'll take a Giannis over a Steph Curry in a playoffs, I'll take a Giannis or LeBron in a playoffs over Steph Curry because of the physicality that they offer, but Obviously, Giannis proving to not be the low post scorer that that LeBron is and not be the playmaker that LeBron is um, or the shooter that LeBron is um, made his offense more one dimensional. And obviously, we saw we saw the wall up and how that worked for literally um, a a couple years in in a row. Um, But he's kind of 
broken through that, and it's it's a good story to see. It's a good story to see. Um, I'd be happy with either team winning the championship. Those are both cities that deserve a champion. So um, I'm not mad either way. But I think if you're a basketball fan, I just think unless you know unless you don't like the way Chris Paul departed from your team, uh, if you had him, I I could see them not rooting for Chris Paul. But man, Chris Paul. Uh, what a what an unbelievable competitor! What an all time great! What a what a absolutely second peak this was to go from just an a quote unquote untradeable contract to being potentially Finals MVP because you know if they win this ring, um, it, he's getting Finals MVP. I don't care what Devin Booker puts up. I don't care what Aiton puts up. They're giving it to Chris Paul. Um, man, it's it, it just it it would be amazing to see. But from a basketball standpoint, I, I'll, I'll get into that real quick. I just got the Suns because I think they're the better team, um, obviously including uh, factoring in Giannis's health and just how limited he could be, um, you know, in his game relying so much on mobility. I just, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure what he'll be able to do in this playoffs um, or in this series. But DeAndre Ayton, look, he's, he's given me confidence now. He's given me confidence to be a good defensive center. And I know that's a very simple statement, but I think that it's it, it plays a big factor in this series. Um, Macau Bridges, um, a great defender, Chris Paul, and what um, and, and what Devin Booker will be able to do. Obviously, Milwaukee has defensive options to throw at these guys, and obviously they have offensive firepower. Milwaukee has a very talented team that can that can definitely win this series on paper, but. I just think that I like what Phoenix does. They seem like a team that knows exactly what they're doing. Um, Jay Crowder on Giannis, I think, can do um, can be an issue. Uh, I think that I think that again, having DeAndre Ayton patrolling, uh, patrolling the paint, which he might not be because of Brook Lopez being stretched out to the three point line. Um, I I still think that Andre DeAndre Ayton is going to be okay in this series just because he's quick. And he's shown an ability to kind of protect the rim or play the three-point line and also come back and get the rebound. And he just hustles his ass off. One thing I will say is that I don't I expect DeAndre Ayton to eat in this series. I know Milwaukee has guys like Giannis that could rebound. Brook Lopez is big, but he's not a great rebounder. So I expect DeAndre Ayton to still be able to get those second and third uh, second and third chance points that really are a difference maker in this Suns offense. And I just think Chris Paul is going to do what he did in game six of that of that Clippers series, where he's like, that was an ultimate performance of, no, fuck this. I am not going to a game seven. We should have won this in five. We didn't. I'm not dealing with this. I'm Chris Paul. I know the ESPN headlines are going to be Chris Paul. Is he choking again? What's wrong with the Suns? Blah, blah, blah. No, we're not doing this. We're wrapping this up tonight in the Clippers building. I'm sick of this and dropping 31 points in the second half. Amazing. And I honestly, I think he has one or two of those in this series. And I think you win those games. And then I think, again, Booker plays better than he played last round. Um, Aiton will play great. Uh, Mikel Bridges will will play great. Uh, I just think I just have a lot of confidence in, in what this team does, and this team knows exactly who they are and what they want. And I think Monty Williams, all, all playoffs along, has made the right decisions. He's made the right adjustments. And I trust him to make adjustments. And I think that Bud, if he refuses to make adjustments quickly, I think it's going to cost him. You know, I th- it almost cost him in that Brooklyn series. There were times in the Atlanta series where it was frustrating. 
but um but overall i think that you know he's very stubborn in his ways he's very set in his ways and you know who am i to judge him he's a professional basketball coach getting paid millions of dollars i'm a guy who watches basketball but in my opinion i just think he's he's too He's too noncommittal to changes. He's he's just not willing to make a lot of changes, or if he does, he makes them later rather than sooner. And I think this is a series where it comes back to bite them, which is why I had the Suns winning it in six. Um, yeah, congratulations, Phoenix, if you win this series. Congratulations, Milwaukee, if you win this series. Um, either city does, so hardly deserves it. I'll be back after, after game two to get my thoughts, but I'm going to let game one and game two rock. And see where and see where the cards fall. See what Giannis's status is. See you know, see how Chris Paul looks. See how Devin Booker looks. See how all the stars play. But look, this is a great series, man. This should be an entertaining series. It has high level players, assuming Giannis comes back and plays, and it has all the potential to be a very good finals. So, that being said, thank you everyone for this solo podcast. It's a long podcast, but you know, thank you all for listening. Listen to me ramble. I just thought it was so fun to go back here and look at just how the hell we got to where we got to. Um, I really think that this is an NBA playoff run that should just be documented. It should, it should have its own 30 for 30 for just how amazingly complicated it was and how just how many twists and turns were in this playoff run. Uh, it's truly incredible. Uh, I, I think that genuinely it's frustrating because of the injuries, but I don't know if we'll ever have another playoffs where where. I'll have 10 people fill out a bracket and almost all 10 of them will be drastically different from each other. I just think that that's something that's really, really insane to think about because the NBA has never been as parody as the NFL. It's never had the parody of, I don't know, I don't know other sports, but um, it's never had that. It's usually had dynasties. It's usually been a dynastic league. So it's fun to see a, a year in which, you know, it's unfortunately caused by injuries, like I said. But see a year where you just you don't know who is going to win. I don't think there was anybody that predicted a Phoenix Milwaukee Finals. Um, it just it, it just is something that I I cannot believe. I really cannot believe. So what a what a run! Thank you everyone for tuning in. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Real Chris Platty. That's the best way to stay up to my content. Check out the wave and my live streams where I talk music and I talk hoops every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern time, live on Instagram. It's on my my Instagram handle, which is at RealChrisPlatty. Again, um, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode. Be, share, uh, be sure to support the podcast by sharing it, subscribing to it, telling a friend, leaving a, descript, uh, leaving a review, a positive review, hopefully, but an honest review. I, I want an honest review. And, uh, yeah, just just really support the podcast, support everything I'm doing. I appreciate all of you that do. Um, the people that come in the live every single week, it's awesome. It's starting to build a community. It's fun because, you know, I'm coming in every, every Friday to, you know, the same people. And, uh, and slightly new versions, you know, I had Ken of Dead End Hip Hop in and it was nuts. And we got like 130 people in at some point. It was really fun. Um, and then there's other ones where it's just, you know, where it's just a few people. We're just kicking back, talking the shit, hanging out, listening to music, um, watching basketball. It's just, it's been fun, man. It's been really fun to do this. Uh, it's been really fun to connect with everybody because, you know, I, I, I talk to you, but 
I like the live stream because it gives a chance for you to talk to me. So please join into the live stream. Tell a friend. Um, I'm really passionate about that. I've been really enjoying that, and I'm going to continue doing that every single Friday. Um, can't wait. This week we got some cool new music drops, um, and then we'll be talking game one and two of the finals there. Um, and then I'll and then I'll try to come back in the weekend with another long podcast uh, breaking down uh, breaking down game one and two of the finals, maybe even game three, depending on when the scheduling works. And uh, yeah, I'll have a guest for that one. I just wanted to do this one solo just because I wanted to just go in my own world of recapping the NBA playoffs because like I said, it was truly phenomenal and it's been an, an incredible experience. I've been glued to it all season long. I don't know what anybody's talking about with these ratings. Thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. I'm Chris Platty. I will see you on the next one. Peace out.